This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, uh, if you were with us last week, you'll know that we are going to be heading back into a sermon series that we started uh, actually last fall. Uh, probably would have been almost to the date, early September, we usually kind of start new things right around then. This would be the Sunday we'd be having our annual fall festival deal that we've liked to do in the past. Um, but we're, we're jumping back in to the book of Acts. And if you're new to the book of Acts, or if you're new to the Bible, um, Acts is um, it's a follow-up volume to Luke's gospel. And we titled this, uh, the sermon series, again, last fall, uh, Viral. And we, and we did that not, not because like we had some prophetic powers about that word and what that would mean to us, uh, but we did that because the idea of something going viral, which now has all new implications for it, um, is what is described and recorded for us in the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is commonly uh, titled the Acts of the Apostles, um, some, and I would, I would cast my vote with these commentators, some scholars and commentators would suggest that a, that a perhaps more fitting title for the book would be the continuing acts of the Lord Jesus through his apostles. And so what we see in these 28 chapters of the New Testament recorded by uh, the Gentile doctor named Luke, what we see is Jesus continuing to work um, on earth through his people. So this morning we're going to pick up uh, where we left off. Um, Actually, I preached, um, I think I preached one or two sermons when we were doing the whole online only thing in in March. Um, But we left off in Acts chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, you're welcome to open those now to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And we're, we're picking up in a, in a passage um, that actually is just on the heels of a really big moment in the life of the church. And it's, it was the conversion of a man named Saul. Uh, and if you're at all familiar with, with the Bible and the, the growth of the early church, you know this man. Uh, he'll get a name change later in the book uh, to, from Saul to Paul. So the apostle Paul is converted in chapter 9. And then we've got these, these two accounts of, 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 a heal, of healing um, through a man named Peter. And the, the, the reason, I kind of struggled with why this was here. And, and, and here's why I think these events were recorded right here. Um, there's, a, there's a pivot happening in the book. There's a kind of a transition happening from Paul and his conversion to the work and ministry of Peter uh, to the Gentiles. And this passage is the thing that, that hinges it. It, it kind of prepares uh, the heart of the hearer um, about what's coming in chapter 10. Because what's coming in chapter 10 is, is one of the kind of the watershed, climactic moments in the whole book. So this is kind of preparatory work uh, for what's going to happen in the coming chapter. And so uh, the, the events take place um, in a region uh, that would have been known as Judea. 
So the transition is not just from, from, from Paul to Peter, but it's also in region. If you'll remember, if you were with us last week, we kind of looked at that passage where uh, Jesus was saying that, you'll be, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, this is also a transition from le- the good news about Jesus leaving Jerusalem and going to Judea. And so the, the context is now in these two coastal towns of Lydda and Joppa. Uh, this would have been about 40 miles uh, northwest of Jerusalem. So just for fun this week, I, I was like, what is 40 miles? Because, you know, these, these folks are walking everywhere. 40 miles would have been like walking from Las Lunas to Bernalillo. So that's roughly 40 miles. If you put it in Google Maps, it gives you kind of the walk route, whatever. Um, that's, that's kind of where this had traveled. So the, the, the apostles are now beginning to, to take the good news out. And it appears, uh, as, you, as you'll see when we read the text, it appears that the gospel has already been established in these cities because there's believers there. And so most people think that Philip took the good news to these places, and now the apostles are going to go and follow up in these cities. Uh, and while Peter's doing that, uh, he encounters these two individuals. This is setting up the movement of God on earth. So let me read for us now, beginning in chapter 9, verse 32, going down to the end of the chapter. Uh, This is God's word for, for his people this morning. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And when he gave her his hand and raised her up, then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of God. Let's pray together and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, we need your help. We need your help to understand your word. We need your help to be attentive to your presence. Um, I need your help to communicate clearly and truthfully. And so, Lord, we're, we're asking for your help now. Would you please be with us? Would you please speak to us through your word? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, uh, I'm a quickly approaching, uh, I guess, middle age. I don't know, 40 years old, um, coming into that. And so when you're when you're in your late 30s, you really have high stock value of things like Men's Health magazine. Uh, Men's Health is one of one of the only magazines I get. Um, I, you know, if you're not inspired by Mark Wahlberg on magazines, I don't know what inspires you. But these magazines, I usually kind of just take like little snippets. I like, you know, a health advice or food advice or an exercise thing once, once or twice, kind of, kind of per issue. Uh, but in this issue, it kind of caught my eye, and it's probably true of of most or all issues. But like, you know, the the bold titles that they put for the articles, you know, obviously on the cover to kind of captivate your attention to get you to, to want the magazine. Let me just read a few off of this magazine. This, this particular episode is uh, Mark Wahlberg's No Quit Guide to Winning. Uh, in this episode, you can also learn how to make hot dogs your superfood. Uh, you can hack your fat hormones. Uh, you can get wild with 25 outdoor adventures for your body and mind. Uh, you can spend less and sweat more, having summer fun. But perhaps the one that caught my attention uh, the most uh, on the on this particular cover uh, is ten simple ways to save a life. Uh, and in those in those ten simple ways, they're they're rather simple. It tells you how to like survive a jellyfish sting and uh, poison ivy. And if one of your um, hiking buddies like loses a limb, it tells you what to do, or breaks a breaks an arm, it tells you what to do. Those types of things. And and kind of underneath all of that, here's my synopsis of what's going on. Um, the thing that intrigues me. And, and, and most of the audience that are reading things like men's health, is we want, um, I'll use kind of biblical, theological language, we want kingdom. And by kingdom, I mean good life. Like we want health, uh, we want prosperity, we want longevity, we want endurance, we, we want kingdom. That's the language I would use. And, 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 and kingdom... Um, as sold by the packaged and sold by the world, uh, comes in a lot of different forms. Uh, so your kingdom might not be men's health type of kingdom stuff. Uh, your kingdom uh, could could just be like kind of financial savviness and investments and portfolios. Uh, your kingdom could be like um, the the model home, you know, decored out in every season uh, of the of the year. Uh, you know, your kingdom comes in a different form or package, but but all of us kind of inside as humans have this ache um, for good life. And, and it's a really good ache. Um, it, it's actually something you were designed to have and to feel and to long for. But the problem uh, with the ache and the problem with things like men's health is is we want kingdom but we don't want the king that comes with the kingdom. So all the various forms and packages and templates for the kingdom life that you're being sold all largely come and say, you need to, to, to make this kingdom happen on your own. You need to be the king of your kingdom. And I'm, and I'm using this kind of language, kingdom without a king, because um, if you were here with us last week, you know, my, my, my premise for the entire book of Acts is that the kingdom of God has come, and it is coming. It has come 
in part and is coming in full. Um, but as the believer in Jesus, our, um, I guess our calling is to bring an awareness to the kingdom of God in our lives. And, and in the book of Acts, what we see is that awareness coming alive. And the way the kingdom comes is always with the king. It's never without the king. And that is true of today's passage. What we, what we observe in these two healings is the kingdom coming. It's external healing um, that has internal realities to it. Now, what we're going to see time and time again throughout this book is extraordinary things happen that describe a spiritual reality. I made that distinction last week. Like, what we're seeing in the book of Acts is very descriptive, not entirely prescriptive. So in other words, just because we see um, a paralyzed man healed and a dead woman resuscitated does not mean that's prescriptive of what must happen for the kingdom of God to come. What, what, what actually is taking place, the way this passage reads to me, is this has much less to do with Peter and the extraordinariness of the healing, and it has much more to do with the recipients of the healing and the implications of those who saw it. When the kingdom of God comes, when, when kingdom life is evident, it changes everything around it. Let me, let me do this this morning. Uh, just two things I want to kind of hinge around this morning, thinking about the kingdom. Um, I want to talk about kingdom eligibility and I want to talk about kingdom entrance. So who can get in, and how do you get in? Kingdom eligibility, uh, kingdom entrance. Let's look at the eligibility component first. Uh, and I want to do that by just looking at kind of some of the characters that are in this, um, this event. There's a number of them. Uh, the first one is Aeneas. Uh, the only thing we know about this man is in this event, so we know things because of his name and because of what's described. So we know he was probably um, a Greek, um, maybe perhaps a born Greek, maybe turned now Jew. So Lydda was primarily a Jewish population, but it had kind of Gentile um, surroundings to it. So we think he was probably a Greek man, and, and the text tells us he was paralyzed for eight years. Uh, we don't know what happened, um, but, but clearly he was, he was um, unable to move. He was bedridden, paralysis. Um, and so what we know about that um, time is somebody who would have had paralysis was inept to provide for themselves. Uh, they, were, they were estranged. They were outsiders. They, could not, they, they, they couldn't take care of themselves. They were essentially helpless and despairing people. And, and that's what we know about Aeneas. Um, the second and the more fuller um, description in this uh, uh, passage is that of Tabitha. Uh, the passage tells us her name's Tabitha, also translated Dorcas. So ta- I don't know if anyone's naming children Dorcas these days, but like that one. Uh, so, so Tabitha is the Jewish name. Dorcas uh, would have been her Greek name. I'm going to use Tabitha because it just, it just rolls off my tongue better. Um, so you know, Dorcas, just put that one in your pocket. But Tabitha um, is described here in, in pretty great detail. 
Uh, it's the only time in the New Testament where a female is described as a disciple. So it's not that there were not other female disciples, but nobody is specifically called a female disciple of Jesus, so there's that. So she was a believer. Uh, she was full of good works and acts of charity. Uh, that's another way to say she was in, totally plugged into her faith community, into the local church. Uh, she was involved, active. What we think she was involved in was uh, the widow's ministry because of the widows that were there mourning her death. Um, there's no certainty on this, but I, I, would, I would lean in the direction. I think she was a widow. Um, I think because of her involvement, and it talks about how she was um, doing some garment sewing and making some tunics, like that was her means of providing income for herself. Uh, so we, we know she was in, totally plugged into her spiritual community, and she was really generous. She was acts of charity, so she was really open-handed with her money. Uh, it appears maybe she was even wealthy. So even though she was a widow, maybe she inherited money. Uh, the upper room that she was in was probably belonged to her. And people that had upper rooms, this was like the modern-day casita, right? Like it was like a, an extra room on the top of the roof. It was kind of bonus. Like if you had that, you were kind of well off. So we, we think that maybe she was wealthy. So here, here we have in Tabitha an influential, independent, wealthy person. Kind of the opposite of Aeneas, right? But, but also in the, in the narrative are widows. So widows are there in the mourning process, which is a multi-day process. Uh, widows are there. Uh, they're they're, they're you know, reminiscing about the work that she had done with them. They're weeping. Um, and so there, there's something about that um, demographic that, that says something about eligibility in the kingdom. And then the final person who just kind of sneaks in there at the end, and I don't want it to go on overlooked, uh, was a man named Simon. If you look at Simon in verse 43, uh, he, he was obviously a citizen of Joppa, and he was a tanner. Now, to you and I, not much significance there, but to uh, you know, Middle Eastern, first century uh, Israelites, uh, tanners, especially for Jewish people, were unclean. Uh, they, they, so they worked with raw animal hides. Uh, they touched the carcasses of animals, which made them unclean. Uh, they were required to live outside of the city because their profession uh, was just, it was full of stench. Um, it was gross. Uh, in fact, there's this one caveat in the law uh, that provides for spouses of tanners uh, to divorce them if they just can't handle the profession. Like if it's just too much for them, you're free to divorce your husband because it's that gross. So Peter goes to stay with Simon the tanner for an extended amount of time. Somebody who would have been unclean, outsider, an outlier. He would have been, you know, social outcast, right? So all of those people give us insight into who is eligible to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. Um, it, 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 it ranges from the despairing, um, dependent, helpless, paralyzed Aeneas uh, to the wealthy, independent, and influential uh, Tabitha and everything in between. But the, the, the common denominator for eligibility uh, for the kingdom of God 
is need. You must be aware of your need. Uh, do you remember Jesus, uh, early on in his ministry, you know, he's, he's kind of fresh out on the streets. People are just kind of getting word about what he's doing. He goes into the temple on a Sabbath, and, uh, and, and he, he opens a scroll uh, to read Scripture, uh, and he opens it up to Isaiah chapter 61, and I'm going to paraphrase. Um, but he essentially says, listen, here's what I've come to do. I've come to set captives free, uh, to liberate the oppressed, to give sight to the blind, uh, and, uh, and, and for the poor. I've, I've, I've come for those people. And so what Jesus really did throughout his life and what he's doing in the book of Acts is he's, he's showing us um, at a very ground level um, who's qualified to come into the kingdom. And the New Testament would use, it would use kind of catch-all phrases. And, and I'm just going to kind of categorize this. I just want to, let me do some application here with us. Here's who's eligible for king, the kingdom. Um, widows, orphans, and exiles. That's, that's, who's God, that's who, who God is after. And, um, and so widows, orphans, and exiles are people who at the core of their existence know their need. They have felt it. They have experienced it. Um, it's been translated into really tangible terms in their lives. And so I, I guess just kind of what, I just want to just hone in just for a quick second as we round the corner into the second idea of how to get into the kingdom is just like, have you put yourself in that category? Because, I mean, here's, Here's the truth. It is hard in 21st century America to feel like a widow, orphan, or exile. Our wealth and resourcedness um, has largely inoculated us. It's protected us from feeling that. But now, perhaps more than ever in your life, um, those types of things are surfacing. Right, like I've mentioned this all summer, and I'll, and I'll do it again. Like these trials and tribulations that we're going through, which is terminology the Bible uses, are meant to reveal who we actually are. And so, have you felt that? Are you feeling that? And if you are, that's really good to be feeling that. It's it's okay to feel like a widow, orphan, or exile. Because what that does is it qualifies you for kingdom life. If you're not feeling that right now, um, don't feel guilty about it. Like if you're just crushing quarantine life, you know, you're like, you know, making sourdough bread and like decorating your home. Like I know there's people like sourdough bread's like all the rage right now. Um, like if you're not, if you're doing that, like if you're just totally crushing this quarantine life, that's okay. Like I'm not telling you feel guilty about doing great, um, but there's something about trials and temptations that show us who we really are. And this is a cultural moment where you can feel who you really are. And if you feel who you really are, and if you really are a, a widow, an orphan, or an exile, if you're feeling those, those realities in your inner life, then I have really good news for you. And the really good news is you're qualified for the kingdom. So let's talk about how you enter it. How do you get into the kingdom? 
What does that look like? Uh, some of the most profound moments I'm having with my kids right now is at bedtime. Uh, you know, usually me and the boys kind of go to the bed, uh, kind of get them ready for bed while Isabel and Heather are kind of finishing up their stuff. And the boys they just come up with the, the, just the darndest questions at, at nighttime, right? Like they just always have these kind of profound moments. And I forget what we were talking about this week, um, but we, we got to talking about like sickness and our brokenness and our fallenness in the world. And they just, you know, they just put it, they put me to the task, like, you know, pastor dad, give me the answers to life. And the question was kind of posed by one of them, uh, dad, why do we get sick? Why is that our reality? And I kind of went into like a, you know, a theological discourse on original sin and the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And their big takeaway was, so you're telling me it's their fault? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I kind of am. We, you know, we were plunged into this human condition. And anyway, I, I kind of like tried to run out of it theologically and give them all the answers. But, but the core takeaway for them was um, this is not how life is supposed to be. Sickness, suffering, hardship. You know, um, that, that is not the way life was intended to be. And I feel like because you and I were plunged into a world where that is the norm, we look at events like this, uh, where a paralyzed man is healed, where a dead woman is raised to life, and we say, that is not normal. That's not natural. That, that is an intrusion of extraordinary into the ordinary. And I want you to begin to think the opposite. Because what Jesus is doing through his apostle is he's actually showing us what normal is. So paralyzation and sickness and um, conditions that, that we have no control over in our bodies, that is not normal. What is normal is life. And what, what Jesus is doing is he's introducing us to the new normal of kingdom living. Now, what he doesn't do is he doesn't promise that all of our sin, suffering, and sorrows will just be fading away. It's not, it's not the promise of this now. But what he is doing is he's showing us that miracles are the way things are supposed to be. He's inviting us to a vision for the kingdom of God on earth. Um, and he's inviting us in a way that would say, because of what Jesus has done, namely destroyed sin, Satan, and death itself, because of that work, this is now the new normal. That the kingdom has come and is coming. So the good news um, in this passage is that when you read it, and I don't know, you know, I realize I, I've been thinking about this passage all week and you haven't necessarily, um, is that when you read these events, they, they, they echo and they ring of Jesus. So in the event, at, at the first one with Aeneas, he says, heal, rise, and, and make your bed. Well, do you remember Jesus when the, the friends brought the paralyzed friend to him down the thatchet of the roof? What did he say? He said, rise and make your bed. So it's kind of echoing that. Same thing with Tabitha. Peter says, Tabitha, rise 
in the Aramaic, which would have been probably what Peter was speaking and certainly what Jesus was speaking, Jesus said to the little girl, Jairus' daughter, in Aramaic, Talitha kum. Peter says, Tabitha kum. So what's, what's, what's reverberating in this passage is Jesus um, inviting the world into kingdom living with him. Jesus told a parable. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it. You can read it later. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 22, also in Luke chapter 14. But in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells the parable of a great banquet. And he says, listen, um, again, this is a parable. Jesus is teaching kingdom truths through spiritual stories. He says, listen, my, the, my father's having a great kingdom feast. Go out and tell the world about it. And so the servants go and they go tell people and, you're, and many of the people responded with, essentially, we're too busy. You know, I've got to go take care of this and I've got to do this and I've got the kids and I've got, you know, I've got to go to work and I've got to do all this. Stuff. And they're distracted by the, by, by the work of the world. And, and, and in the parable, he says, okay, well, listen, then you need to go out to the highways and the byways. And do you know who, who was out at the highways and the byways? The poor, the lame, the crippled, the outsider. He said, you go and invite them. He says, they'll hear about my kingdom. So go out to the highways and the byways and tell them that my father's preparing a great kingdom banquet feast. And then come. And then, and then he goes on and he describes the coming of that banquet. And if, if again, you need to read this on your own. I'm, just, I'm maybe doing a kind of a terrible job paraphrasing it. But it, part of that banquet, he says, he looks around and everyone's dressed for the banquet. They have the wedding garments on. They're dressed for the occasion. But there's one man who's in there and he doesn't have the garments. He says, how did you get in here without the garments? He says, well, I just came in. I just came in on my own. And in that parable, it's a really harsh ending. But Jesus says, listen, take that man, bind him up and throw him outside. He doesn't belong in the kingdom. And it sounds really harsh, but Jesus was the most loving man who's ever existed. And here's why uh, he, he would say something like that. Because the kingdom of God is like this. You must be able to associate as one who's on the highway and byway. You have to know that you are lame, crippled, blind, and poor at best. And when you begin to know that, then you can come into the kingdom, but you can't even come into the kingdom on your own. You can't even come into the kingdom with your own garments, your own works, your own efforts, your own righteousness. You have to come by making Jesus the king. And, the, and when you make Jesus the king of your life, what happens is he begins to clothe you with his righteousness. He begins to gift you with a garment that you couldn't put on yourself. You couldn't pay for it. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't make it. You could, there's no way you could have gotten get into this feast without him putting his garment on you. So the invitation for you this morning, and I'll just kinda, I'm just going to land with this. The invitation is to come into the kingdom, not on your own merit. To come into the kingdom in such a way that would say, I want the good life. And the good life is not just stuff and career moves and well-behaved children. The good life is the life with God. 
The good life is knowing that all is right in the world, no matter what is going on in your situation, no matter how terribly you're handling COVID-19, no matter how much eruption of anger, social injustice has brought into your life, no matter how uh, pitfalling your uh, 401k is plummeting right now, no matter what is going on in your life, all is right because God has loved me. And he's loved me enough to give me a garment to come to his feast. Have you felt the need? Do you feel the need? Are you feeling the need? And if you are, then come. I want to draw your attention to the final things that happened because of these events. When somebody is healed, from the, these are from the outside in, but Jesus, the way he works now in his kingdom is from the inside out. When somebody gets healed, when you begin to feel your need and Jesus meets that need through his gospel, here's what we do. Verse 35, they turn to the Lord. Verse 42, many believed in the Lord. The fundamental essence of being a Christian is to turn and believe in the Lord. The final application for today is that you would turn and believe in the Lord. Turn from pursuing the kingdom of the world and all the things that it offers you and believe that the Lord and his kingdom is the way of living. And here's the thing, final thought, here's the thing that will actually cause you to finally and fully turn and believe. God's kindness. It is not, it is never the threat that God is going to smite you um, for your love for the world. Like it's not just this, kind of this, looming cloud that God is somehow going to just kind of dump thunderstorms on your life because you don't love him enough. Like the kingdom of God, the way to enter it is to love God because he first loved you. God's kindness will lead you to turn and to believe in him. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the events recorded in it. For people like Aeneas and Tabitha and Simon. For widows, orphans, and exiles who show us who we all actually are. Lord, we are all longing for the kingdom, perhaps in new ways like we never have before. I pray that you would help us to long for the kingdom and the king and that we would turn and believe in him and what he's done for us, and that you would show us what kingdom living is really all about. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 